For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And good afternoon. Welcome from our little perch here in Denver. I'm Sandy Clough. Sean Brotar will join us momentarily. Sean is in Las Vegas covering Super Bowl 58. And we will have uh, quite a bit in the way of conversation and information to dispense over the next couple of hours. Again, this is Mile High Sports Radio, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, milehighsports.com slash listen. Or for those who prefer to watch, milehighsports.com slash watch. We can also be consumed as it were, via the Mile High Sports app, our executive producers, the great Danny Bailey, and our caller text line is 303-831-1340. That's 303-831-1340 if you want to jump in. And without further ado, we join Sean Rotar, who I believe is on Radio Row as uh, we speak. Good afternoon, Mr. Rotar. Good afternoon, and yes, uh, right here on Radio Row in Las Vegas, the Mandalay Bay uh, Event Center is where they have everybody set up, all the TV and radio, all in one big room, because uh, give Vegas credit, the Super Bowl does have a tendency to take over a town, but in Las Vegas, they're sort of built for these big events, and so surprisingly uh, more efficient, more effective than a lot of these uh, Super Bowls have been, where I think you're trying to fit a couple square pegs into round holes. But for Vegas, uh, they're having everything in there at the Super Bowl this week, and they still have about four or five other major industry conventions that have nothing to do with football because that's just what this town's built for. Uh, Jim Nance of CBS will be calling the game on Sunday as uh, CBS will be uh, the broadcaster. It's their turn in the rotation this year. Uh, said uh, at first with some hesitation, but the more he thought about it, uh, the more he decided to make it definitive that even for Las Vegas, this may be the biggest event of them all. I would, I would suspect it is. I mean, the town is still sort of in that ramping up phase. Obviously, this weekend I expect it to be absolutely bonkers. But, uh, yes, uh, the town is definitely celebrating. I mean, you think about this, you know, only a handful of decades ago, it was unconscionable that you'd have a Super Bowl in Las Vegas, let alone an NFL team, an NHL team, a Major League right. Baseball team coming. I mean, obviously, you know, Vegas has been completely embraced. The walls between uh, sports gambling and 
and leagues have come down. The NFL, of course, has partners in that uh, in that industry. So uh, all of this was sort of unbelievable for Vegas, and it is fascinating to see how much the town is celebrated. I mean, everywhere you go, there are definitely things planned, and, and Vegas knows how to do it right. You know, the entertainers that are around, the shows that are going to be in town, it is going to be a, a tremendous thing tonight. The uh, the event that's gathered for media, usually the convention and visitors bureau, puts together a, a an event for the visiting media so they can learn more about the town. That'll be this evening, and it will be at the F1 paddock that was set up for the Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, so obviously they're just trying to continue to build that sports scene in Las Vegas up so it amplifies one upon another. Is anybody on either team saying anything interesting apart from the fact that the 49ers don't like their practice field? <laughs> Not yet, as you expect. And, you know, there is a lot of this was the, the Super Bowl only four years ago, although there's not as much overlap from the players as you might think. Uh, playing it pretty close to the vest, I think these two teams respect the other. I think they understand Kansas City in the last few years has certainly had more success than San Francisco, but not by leaps and bounds. The no. Niners have been right there in the mix. And so these have really been, over the last uh, five years, the two best teams in the NFL, and unfortunately the Niners are just finding themselves in an era where they can't quite get over the top. And uh, as a result, I think the, the Chiefs are being very cautious. They don't have to say anything. You never want to punch down. You're the defending champs. But if you're the Niners, you also don't need to, uh, to do anything to – you know, rile up the uh, the Chiefs because in the this will be the fourth meeting of head coaches that have met before. This is the fourth rematch of head coaches in the Super Bowl. Each of those re- rematches happened within five years, and the previous coaches, when you're talking about Chuck Knoll of the the Steelers, Jimmy Johnson of the Cowboys, Tom Coughlin of the Giants, the difference was in all three of those previous matchups, the team that won the first one also won the second one. Isn't that so, something? It is. And, of course, in this case, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have already gotten over Kyle Shanahan, but it was with Jimmy Garoppolo. The yes. other thing that combines those with Noel, Johnson, and Conklin, well, they had Bradshaw, Aikman, and Eli Manning, respectively, and Andy Reid still has Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we'll talk about the player stories here in just a second, but uh, you mentioned the two coaches and this rematch of uh, Reid versus Shanahan uh, that uh, began at the Super Bowl four years ago, and uh, now uh, they come back uh, four years later. Uh, Andy Reid, age 65. Uh, I guess there are rumors, although the Chiefs seem to be knocking them down uh, at every opportunity that Andy Reid might consider retiring, especially if the Chiefs won this game and it gave him three Super Bowls. Uh, Only a handful of coaches have ever won three Super Bowls in all. And uh, uh, you mentioned one, uh, Chuck Knoll, uh, who's won four. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, of course, uh, looking to uh, follow in the footsteps of Father Mike, who won back-to-back Super Bowls following the 97 and 98 seasons. In your opinion, which coach is the bigger story this week, Andy Reid or Kyle Shanahan? You know what? That's a good question because there, there is so much – uh, for Brown, both men to be fascinating. Obviously, if the 49ers win, you know, we, we've talked about some of these rematches, but there's never been a father and son head coaching uh, a championship team. No. So obviously that would be a totally unique thing and probably sp- very special to a lot of people in the uh, Denver area. But, yeah, I, I think at this point it, it ends up being 50-50 because I think lost in the shuffle. Andy Reid has been 
so good over the course of his career. You know, people forget how successful his Eagles career was. He trails only Don Shula, George Hallis, and Bill Belichick in all-time wins. Yes. That's it. We're talking about the fourth winningest coach in the history of the NFL. He passed Tom Landry this year. So very quietly, you know, here is big Walrus Andy Reid, who on the story about ESPN today said he's all yes. about football and cheeseburgers. Yeah, and that's what Patrick Mahomes said about him. Yeah, and he's one of the very best that's ever done it. And then you have Kyle Shanahan, who at this point there are a couple, even going back to the the, the coordinator with the Falcons. The idea is, is he too conservative? Is he, is he good yeah. enough a coach to get there? But is he too conservative when the big game comes around that True. he can't get over the hump? That's I think enough. that question that's interesting, too, and answering that question with a win, I think would completely redefine his career. So it is fascinating to see the way that both of these two coaches come into this Super Bowl because both of them have different legacies on the line. Shanahan would be forging his. Yes. Reed would be reinforcing <laughs> his virtually gold-plated uh, Hall of Fame credentials. The Chiefs say they don't plan on Andy Reid retiring anytime soon. Clark Hunt has spoken about that. Uh, Brent Beach, uh, the general manager, has uh, spoken about that. Uh, uh, the feeling among Reed's friends seems be he's as happy as he has ever been. And we forget that back in 2013, before he took the Chiefs job, he had just been fired after going 4-12 and in his final year in Philadelphia with the Eagles. But Andy Reid right now holds a distinction that no one else holds, and it uh, was pointed out in this piece you just referenced. He's the winningest coach in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles and the winningest coach in the history of the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. That's, that's that really something? quite, it is remarkable. No one else has that distinction with two different yeah. franchises. Yeah, winning his coach with two different franchises, exactly. And if he wins that Super Bowl, uh, we've talked about two of them. Bill Belichick, of course, with six. Chuck Knoll with Steelers and four. Yep. Bill Walsh and Joe Gibbs with three each. And that's the company. That's the that company. Reed. And yep. you think about that number, that means, you know, you jump past Vince Lombardi. Yeah. You jump past oh, Jimmy yeah. Johnson. You jump past Mike Shanahan. Right. Bill Parcells. Yep. Landry. Shula, all those guys would be in your rearview mirror. Exactly. I mean, that's remarkable. And when you think about someone passing Shula, uh, everybody assumes that at some point it will be Belichick, but Belichick doesn't currently have a job. And at the rate in which Reed is winning right now, if he stayed around into his 70s, he might be the guy to pass on Shula. It's, it's entirely possible, right? And, you know, Shula with 328, Reed is exactly 70 behind him. Well, at that 10-win-a-season pace, as long as Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, seems exactly. sustainable, that's, that's seven years. So, yes, and possibly another Super Bowl or two in that mix. So, I mean, it's, uh, we could be watching this, and, and you know, very quietly, maybe you're watching the uh, greatest coach in the history of football, but he's not the one that we've been talking yeah, about. That's exactly right. And... Uh, you know, he had a terrific career in Philadelphia. Yeah. He only went to one Super Bowl, and he didn't win that one. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this would be his fifth Super Bowl. He's two and two, the first four. So when you're, I mean, he's not close to Belichick yet, but who knows what the next few years could bring? And that hinges on uh, Patrick Mahomes, who, uh, by virtue of age and experience would seem to be in his prime right now. And I'm already hearing, and I wonder if you are too, I know it's early in the week, uh, if the Chiefs win this game, all this legacy talk beginning, that 
involves Patrick Mahomes challenging Tom Brady as perhaps the greatest and even on the verge of maybe approaching him as the winningest Super Bowl quarterback, championship it, it, quarterback in history. You can, I mean, I think you can envision it. I mean, you can tell that when you watch Pat Mahomes, you're looking at an all-time great and a guy that is essentially, uh, give Tom Brady all his credit, and he deserves it. But I will say this about Tom Brady. Uh, I, he played a traditional quarterback style, and he played it better than virtually anyone's ever played it. But Patrick Mahomes is reinventing the game on the fly. You're talking about kids in the future that are now looking at it saying, I want to play football like Patrick Mahomes. And I think people want to win like Brady. Brady's style had been played by a lot of players before. What Mahomes is doing is really forging his own path in the style of play. This is a guy that's never finished his season in a game any earlier than the AFC Championship, which is just comical when you consider it. You know, we know that the, the Chiefs, since the Broncos won Super Bowl 50, 2016, uh, the Chiefs have won the AFC West every single season. On average, Sandy, they've won 12 games in that span. Yeah. From 2016 <laughs> yeah, to right. 2023, their average win is 12. So, I mean, it is, uh, it's borderline silly, and, and Mahomes has been at, the, at the, the head of all of that. And so, obviously, the pairing of the great quarterbacks and the great coach, that's obviously important. It matters a lot. But you do see something that's pretty remarkable. Mahomes uh, with 74 career wins tied right now with Jake Cutler for 58th all-time in the regular season. But when you, you get to the playoff wins, he's already among the all-time oh. greats. And, and that, in the end, isn't, really, isn't that really what we're talking about? Absolutely. You, one, you get to the playoffs, and that's then when you get there, judged. you win. And yeah. that's what he does. He gets there every season, and then he goes on and gets wins. And then there is Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, but also for the 49ers, hardly irrelevant to uh, their regular season and playoff success over the past two years. And, the, the, yeah, but, you know, Mahomes has some swagger. The anti-swagger quarterback would seem to be Brock Purdy. Yes, I think that's completely fair. It's not a lot of a style or flash and dash. Uh, in his game, although there's nothing wrong with that. And as we've talked about before, you know, game manager, I suppose uh, you can talk about it that way, but it's, it's, it's really a different than that because managing is in the NFL. Now it's what coaches want, you know, the, every, every rule change. And, uh, you know, I had a, a fascinating conversation with uh, Mike Smith, the former coach of the Atlanta Falcons that I'm sure we'll have a chance to get to, but also the idea that, that the uh, game manager stigma Yes. It's totally unfair. And you'll get a chance to hear from uh, NFL Network's Mike Yam later in the program. And, yes. Uh, we talked about that a little bit as well. The idea that uh, it's game managers sort of we have to come up with a different term. And, uh, and Mike liked the term game CEO when he likened Brock Purdy because it is more involved than that. And, and now that you have defenses set up that kind of almost concede the fact that stopping teams between the 20s is going to be less likely than, than, than you think. So we know teams can move the ball between the 20s almost effortlessly. The rules are set up that way. There's tremendous talent in the NFL side of the, of the offensive side of the ball. But now you have, uh, because of that, because it's so easy to get points, whether three or seven, turnovers are what's critical. And we know the defenses. Now you have two, jo- two jobs. You try to make sure you're giving up three instead of giving up seven and you try to go turn the ball over because that's what decides games. 
And so when you know you're at a defense that's going hunting for turnovers, and that's their objective, it means that making sure you don't turn it over becomes even more important than it was before. And it was always a quarterback's job one. But it, the idea that you're a game manager, you're not turning the ball over, even if you're not scoring a lot of points, that's what changes the game. So if you can avoid turning the ball over, it may not be sexy, but it leads to wins. And that's what we see with Brock Purdy. And I think it's a little unfair because of the way he plays. You brought it up all year, Sandy. This is a guy that is not dink and dunk. He drives the ball no, down the field on average no. as much as any quarterback in the league. And sure, there's a lot of yards after the catch, but that's kind of the general idea of successful quarterbacking, that you're able to hit people in motion, and they're on the run when they catch the ball. And it, it seems that Purdy uh, is able to get the ball at the right time in the right spots to all of these receivers. Uh, it's it's interesting, though, and I think we touched on it a bit last week and talked about it more in length on the program yesterday. And before we let you run, I wanted to uh, give you a chance to comment uh, on this uh, maybe uh, uh, at a little uh, 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 more of a level of detail that uh, it's almost a role reversal with these two teams. Now Kansas City's defense going up against San Francisco's offense is the matchup everybody's talking about rather than four years ago when it was Kansas City's offense against San Francisco's defense. Yeah, and I, I think there's that danger, you know, when you look at Mahomes and there are multiple ways to win. And what we've seen is Mahomes is okay with it's going to be a tighter game. It may be lower scoring. It just means that when the chips are down, he's got to be able to move the ball. And he's done so. But you're right. It's really, we saw it sort of change in the second half of that playoff game against Buffalo. And ever since then, not only did they – perplex Josh Allen to an extent and certainly the guys trying to protect him on blitzes but we saw what they did to the Ravens and nobody had done that to the Ravens all year long nobody had done that Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson literally looked like he didn't know what to do and we're talking about someone who will likely be the MVP of the league so the defense is impressive and we have talked about this Chiefs defense when you look at we you look at the the Chiefs and they're like okay Mahomes and Kelsey uh, Andy Reid but we forget about in that same run Chris Jones, yeah. Nick Bolton, Algeria Sneeds, three yeah. levels of defense, yeah. three stars. And they're able to, to bring pressure because Steve Spagnuolo is a very creative guy. He'll bring four. He's not blitzing you. We talk, you know, you'll hear the announcer say, oh, Spagnuolo brings the heat. But what he's not often doing is blitzing. He's rushing four. You just don't know which four it's going to be. Kind of, uh, in many cases, a little bit of what, what Phillips would do. Heat's coming from somewhere. The idea is you're disguising where it's coming from. Right. But you're also dropping someone back to make sure that you don't surrender the middle of the field to that tight end, which is going to be absolutely critical against a guy like George Kittle. And, of course, the Chiefs, uh, especially their defensive players, campaigning hard for Steve Spagnola as assistant coach of the year in 2023 uh, in the National Football League. And uh, on the basis of what he's done, at least in the playoffs and obviously during the season as well, uh, there might not be uh, too many candidates who are as good or as qualified for this year as Steve Spagnola, uh, the coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, the longtime defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the key to their success, too, isn't it? Now, I, I know they've shuffled offensive coordinators a bit, but Reed is the ultimate offensive guy. But Spagnola and, and Taub have been around forever with Andy Reed in Kansas right. City. And there's value in that because when you see a game like the Buffalo game, when you have that kind of confidence, that trust, that synergy, because you're familiar with that, 
you're okay if you're Andy Reid of, of saying, okay, you know what, why don't you turn up some of the heat? I trust that you're going to be able to make it fit within our game plan, but we need to do a little bit more because Josh Allen is uh, having himself a game. And you can trust that. And then yep. you come into that next game and say, all right, what do, you, you know, what do you think we should do against Lamar Jackson? And you can trust it because there's no difference when you look at that staff. Everyone's on the same page because everyone's been on the same page. And I think when you look at what locally the Denver Broncos are trying to do, under Sean Payton, part of the reason he brings in his guys, uh, like all coaches do, is because he wants that familiarity and trust. He wants to know when he tells his offensive coordinator, I want this. He knows that that's still going to be within a certain range. And Andy Reid knows that when he, he tells Spagnuolo to turn it up or, or whatever he's planning on doing, he knows that he's going to get a certain range of risk, yep. but he also knows there's a certain range of risk that Spagnuolo will not undertake, and that allows him to go ahead and game plan the whole game at once in real time. So Basically, those kind of adjustments, halftime adjustments, you watch a staff that's been together, you'll see a team that adjusts better at halftime. The Chiefs have done that. They have done that, and they have been doing that for years. Sean, thank you, and we look forward to uh, listening to your conversations later on in the program with Brian Billick, uh, the former head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, who won a Super Bowl under Brian Billick, uh, just as they have uh, uh, won one under John Harbaugh. Brian Billick, uh, a favorite of ours. Uh, will be uh, uh, heard from a little bit later on in the program today during the 5 o'clock hour. And Mike Yam of uh, the NFL Network. And uh, you cover a range of subjects with Mike, don't you? The Pac-12, uh, Deion Sanders, fifth right. at the University of Colorado, and, of course, uh, uh, what we've just talked about, the Kansas City Chiefs defense. So we're looking forward to both those conversations. And uh, stay uh well-rested and stay busy. I know it's hard in Las Vegas to stay busy, but uh, right, I'm right. sure you'll it's find a way. Very boring place. Nothing to do here. No, no, <laughs> no. Nothing to do here. Nothing to see here. Thanks, Sean. Anytime. Right. Appreciate it. And when we continue, the Colorado Avalanche open their post-All-Star break road trip. Last night at Madison Square Garden against the New York Rangers, they're back at it in uh, roughly 45 minutes in New Jersey against the Devils. It was, uh, as the Denver Post headline suggested today, almost perfect. With under 10 minutes to go in the game, the Avalanche were leading on a goal by, who else, Nathan McKinnon, one to nothing. And perhaps Alexander Georgiev was having his best game of the year. He may have had his best game of the year, but the Rangers got the tying goal in the third period, and won it in overtime by a score of 2-1. The Avalanche get a point. Uh, Arif Dean will join us at the top of the hour at 5 o'clock, but uh, we'll delve into what took place last night, what happened and what didn't happen, and how much of a role fatigue played in the game. Jared Bednar, the Avalanche coach after the game, suggesting that, yes, fatigue was a factor. The Rangers got stronger as the game progressed. The Avalanche got more tired, and when you look at the time on ice for Messrs. Taves, McCarr, McKinnon, and Rantanen in particular, and I suppose Jonathan Druan as well, you begin to wonder, are they playing too much as well as all five are playing at the moment? That's all coming next. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar on Mile High Sports Radio. Stay with us. Late at night. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Pretty even played hockey game. Goes to overtime. Would have liked to have been able to grab the two points out of that, but I don't think we did enough after getting the lead to extend that lead or, or make it tougher on them. I thought they actually got more jump as the game went on, and we looked like we were a little bit tired. As always, Jared Bednar speaking directly and getting right to the point in the wake of an avalanche overtime loss last night at Madison Square Garden, 2-1 to the New York Rangers late in the first period. Nathan McKinnon gave the avalanche a 1-0 lead, and it came after the Avs had had three power plays previously in the period. Uh, They had not scored on any of the three. They score at even strength with McKinnon. And as it turned out, that was their best period of the evening by far. They held the lead through the second period and into more than 10 minutes of the third period before Artemi Panarin scored the tying goal and then Alexis Lafreniere struck in the overtime period to give uh, the Broadway Blue Shirts their 2-1 win and send the Avalanche to uh, only their fourth overtime shootout loss of the season and you you look at overtime games shootout games the avalanche would seem to have an advantage over most teams when it comes to top end talent three on three should be a major advantage for the avalanche because just about all the time not not literally every second of a five minute overtime But a a great deal of time will be spent with McKinnon, the best setter perhaps in the world right now, the best winger in the NHL, Miko Rantanen, and arguably the best defenseman in the NHL, Cam McCarr, out there on the ice. Those would be three of uh, the avalanche skaters in a lot of three-on-three situations. Um, Last night, though, uh, they were beaten And uh, that's a relatively rare occurrence. The Avalanche have a very strong record, although years ago, uh, when they also had some top-end talent, they didn't seem to fare very well in three-on-three overtimes. Uh, A little better in shootouts, but but not great. Uh, Last night, one of the few times that they uh, haven't been able to come through in the overtime period, but as Bednar insinuated there, it, it would have been a bit of a steal had the Avalanche been able to come away from that game with two points, and of course they wouldn't care if the Rangers got a point, uh, being that the Rangers play in the other conference. But they settle for one, and though Dallas and Winnipeg both had games in hand on the Avalanche, Colorado Moraines in first place. They were the only team in the division to play last night. There were only two games in the league last night, the Islanders-Toronto, and of course the Avs game in the Garden against the Rangers. Uh, 
The Avs play in about 30 minutes, and uh, you heard Bednar talk about the way the game went and how the Rangers had more jump as the game went on, and the Avalanche perhaps, as Bednar commented elsewhere, uh, maybe got a little tired, and why wouldn't they be? Uh, McKinnon played more than 24 minutes last night. Ranton played almost 19 minutes last night. Uh, Duran almost 19 and a half minutes last night. The top defense pairing, uh, uh, Devon Taves, 23 minutes, five seconds of ice time. Kale McCarr, uh, who did seem a little tired at the end of the game, 25 minutes and 28 seconds. Now, the game went longer than the regulation 60, obviously, but the best avalanche player on the ice last night was the goaltender. Uh, Georgiev was terrific. Uh, The Rangers, although the shots on goal were equal, seemed to be in the last two periods and, frankly, during the overtime as well, the more dangerous team. Uh, They had better chances than the Avalanche did, although when the score was 1-1, to late in the third period, about a minute left in the game, McKinnon set up Rantanen right on the doorstep in front of Jonathan Quick. And Quick, though he is a veteran, turned back the clock about a decade to when he was a two-time Stanley Cup champion goaltender with the Los Angeles Kings. That was the Jonathan Quick we saw last night backing up Shesterkin. Coming out of the All-Star break, they went with the backup. The Avalanche continue to go with Georgiev. Obviously, after the 10-day break, he was always going to start last night. We'll see what happens tonight, and we'll listen now to Jared Bednar talk about the backup goaltending situation such as it is. You guys sent Prostov back. You said you wanted to get some more reps down there. Is he just still too young, still kind of finding his way to you know feel comfortable night in, night out? Well, he's a, he's a young player, but, I mean, he's only playing once a month, right? Like, we wouldn't do that to any other young player we have, get him up here and then play him once a month. And um, so... Like, I would say he gives us our best chance if he's fresh, playing in a rhythm. He's seeing pucks on a daily basis in game situations. So same thing why we wouldn't have a Noonan sitting around here the whole time. So the flexibility we gain now with him clearing waivers that we can keep one of those guys playing. And I don't know who's going to win the backup job. I really don't. But we're going to experiment with both guys. And, you know, Prozzi's had a good look. He's been good in some games, not so good in others. And now we got to get him playing a little bit to get his game back in order so he's feeling confident and he gives himself a great chance to succeed in the NHL. And it helps us. And then same thing with the Noonan. He's played really well down there. But he He's in the rhythm of his game right now, so he's going to he's going to see some starts for us here in the in the near future. Yeah. Well, uh, it is interesting because no goaltender who has been a regular goaltender by any standard definition has played as much and has had the kind of workload. And yes, the Avalanche have played more games than most teams have played. And, played 50 games now. But the workload that Georgiev has had to absorb doesn't excuse some of his mediocre play this season. But you wonder, yes, if this is a guy who played a ton of games last year and may play even more this year. What about it, Coach Bednar? What about the workload? 
excessive as it may be. Well, I mean, it, it, for me, it is what it is. I mean, if I feel like he's fatigued, he's going to get a rest regardless. If he feels like he can play that, like I don't buy into the whole, oh, it's the, the, like there was goalies playing 60, 70, 75 games for decades, and now all of a sudden they can't. They take, the, the travel's easier, the, the meals are better, they take care of themselves better than they ever did before. All of our other guys try and play 82 games a year. I don't buy into the fact that he got, a goalie can't play more. But the teams that have had success in recent past is, you know, they're going to split the net 60-40 in a way they go, and except for a few um, specific guys. Um, yeah, I feel like Gorgie's a guy that can play a lot, and so he is. So it's, it's more about you wanting to play him as much as you are, not so much like a lack of trust in a backup or something like that? Sometimes it's a little bit of both. Well, he's honest about that. I, I think it is, is actually a great deal more of the latter, a lack of trust. Uh, Ananen is young, but at some point, and, and we'll talk about this with uh, RF Dean, our uh, man on the ads at the top of the hour here. And uh, sometimes it, you've got to consider the idea that all these games have a cumulative effect on a goaltender. And I, I understand the deal with Georgiev, who wanted desperately to get out of New York because he was like the backup goaltender here now. now he never got to play. Shesterkin was the starter. Now the Rangers have Quick, and Quick is having a terrific year, but he's backing up Shesterkin. And that's one of the 60-40 situations that Bednar seemed to be talking about there. And yes, it's true. Uh, decades ago, um, you know, not, not so much when the original six weren't even playing anywhere near 82 games a year. Yes, there were goaltenders who played 65, 70, 75 games a year. That did happen. Patrick Waugh wanted to play all the time. And when his backups would get occasionally frustrated by that, uh, you know, it was Peyton Manning who wanted to take all the snaps in practice, right? Wanted to get all the reps in practice even. And certainly didn't want to come out of games. And I think the same was true with Patrick, and Patrick didn't really care about mentoring young goaltenders and making sure that uh, uh, they got a chance to, play and that he needed rest time. Uh, he hated that. Absolutely hated the idea of uh, missing games. And a lot of it late in his career, he's going for the wins record, which now belongs to somebody else. Records are made to be broken after all. But he wanted to play in every game, yes, against the weak teams too, because they were easier, less stressful games and you could get wins in those games. Pretty much a certain outcome uh, if the opponent was weak enough. A, a win was virtually assured. And Georgiev has been a workhorse goaltender with the Avalanche over the last year and a half uh, plus. But come playoff time, I thought last year he wasn't as sharp as he might have been had he played in five or ten fewer games. That was the way things worked. Francois got hurt. 
the Avalanche really didn't have a trustworthy backup to step in at that point when Francois was injured. But they knew going into this year they wouldn't have Francois. And at some point, Annan's got to play. I, I mean, you can't keep saying he's a young goaltender, he's a young goaltender, he has to play, he has to play, he has to play. Well, he's, what, 22, 23 years old? I don't know. Prosvetov is is older, and Bednar talking about bringing him into the mix, too. I know you want young goaltenders to play, but when do young goaltenders stop being young goaltenders? And, you know, you're, ta- you're not talking about a ton of games, but it, it, once a month, I mean, that that's not it's less than 10 games. So I, I, I think you're looking at this point at a backup who's good enough, trustworthy enough to play in at least 10 games between now and the end of the season. They have 32 left. You want Georgia playing in 27, 28 or more out of those 32? I don't think so. And it's not that physically he can't handle it, but I think it wears on you psychologically. I know he loves to play in New York, so you did hit Madison Square Garden against his old team. Loves to play in the Garden. And he was great last night, and he was great in the one game they played back there last year that they won in, I think, a shootout. So he's obviously going to play last night. The latest is that Ananen might actually start tonight on the back end of a back-to-back in New Jersey. But it is unconfirmed at this hour. We will find out in roughly 30 minutes who is between the pipes tonight, whether they go back to Georgiev on the uh, second night of the back-to-back or uh, Ananen plays tonight. Uh, uh, It will be Ananen if it will be someone other than Georgiev. Ananen is with the team on this road trip and uh, figures to play tonight. And who knows if he's good tonight, maybe he plays again on this road trip a second time. If he doesn't play well, I think you're probably going to see Georgiev for the rest of the trip. All right. We come back in just a moment. We'll assess where the nuggets are as the trade deadline approaches and the nuggets need to do absolutely nothing at the trade deadline. Unlike some other contending teams, the Nuggets are in great shape. If you disagree, text us, call us, 303-831-1340. Sandy Clough with you. This is Mile High Sports Radio. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar here on Mile High Sports. Sean, of course, in Las Vegas. We heard from him a little bit earlier in this hour. He'll be covering Super Bowl 58 for us throughout the week, and we'll hear Sean's conversations later on in the program with the Super Bowl championship coach Brian Billick and Mike Yam of the NFL Network. Wide-ranging conversations with both. RF Dean will join us to talk some avs at the top of the hour at 5 o'clock. And uh, wanted to mention before we get to the Nuggets, because I know you're of the superstitious type. Danny Bailey, our outstanding executive producer here on Mile High Sports. So you'll love this. The Chiefs will be wearing red. Home red on Sunday at Super Bowl 58. 49ers will be in white uniforms. Same look the both the teams had back in 2019, actually into 2020 when the game was actually played, following the 2019 season. And, of course, Kansas City won that game 31-20, but For those of a superstitious nature, like Danny Bailey, the road white uniforms have been the most successful in the history of the Super Bowl, winning 37 of the previous 57 games. That's a 649 winning percentage. And 16 of the past 19 champions have worn white in the Super Bowl. Now, that's not the only reason I'm picking the 49ers to win the game on Sunday because they lost in white four years ago. So it has happened three times in the last 19 years that uh, the uh, uh, team that I had 16 times the last 19 years, three times that the white team has has lost, and that was one of the three times. But 16 out of 19, uh, the white uniform has... uh, been on the winning side, so maybe the 49ers' luck will be a little different uh, coming back in the white uniforms again on Sunday in Las Vegas, the first time a Super Bowl has ever been staged, of course, uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, Talking about the Nuggets uh, themselves, uh, not much to talk about until Thursday night when they go out to Los Angeles at Crypto.com Arena and take on the Lakers, against whom uh, they have uh, a fairly lengthy winning streak going head-to-head, including their four-game sweep of the Lakers last year in the Western Conference Finals. But at the moment, here's how tight things are at the top of the Western Conference. Oklahoma City and Minnesota, both at 35 and 15. The Clippers won a wild one last night. They needed almost all of the 149 points they scored to win the game leaving them at 34 and 15, and the Nuggets are 35 and 16. And the road win home loss differential is just about as close. Oklahoma City plus nine in first place. Minnesota plus 11 in second. The Clippers plus 11 in third. The Nuggets plus 10 in fourth. 
Just to give you an idea, there is one team that is in double digits in the Eastern Conference in the plus category, and that's Boston at plus 12. But following Boston, you have Cleveland at plus 6, Milwaukee at plus 7. The Knicks lost at home to Lakers the other day, so the Knicks are down to plus 8. Phillies plus 5, Indiana's plus 2, Orlando's plus 5, Miami's plus 1. Everybody else in the East is minus. Uh, In the West, even Utah and the Lakers in 10th and 9th place respectively at the moment in the West are plus 2. New Orleans is plus 4, and New Orleans is in 7th place. If the play-in tournament were to begin today, it would be New Orleans versus Utah and Dallas versus the Lakers, with New Orleans and Dallas having home court advantage in the play-in. So they're all decent teams. The Lakers have actually uh, found, at least on the road, a little bit of success in two very tough places to play, Madison Square Garden in New York, and, of course, uh, uh, in Boston, where they beat the Celtics uh, last Friday night. The Nuggets are fine, and... I know that there is talk of uh, a need for a backup center, and I guess it would be nice to have someone more able than either Zeke Naji or DeAndre Jordan at this point of Jordan's career, but that's a luxury. Yeah, it's more it of a nice a to have than right? a need to have. You're yeah. our Nuggets man, Danny Bailey. Uh, it, it, it's Right. It's, a, it's something that would be nice to have. But you're playing Jokic, ideally, 34 minutes a night or thereabouts. I know he's been playing more than that lately, and that's a little concerning. But he also sat out a game recently that, had it been a playoff game, I suspect he would have played. Yeah, he could have so played. It's not Michael, like he's breaking I believe down. Michael Malone said he could have played in that one if he needed yes, to. But if he needed to. Better he, safe than sorry. I thought they needed a backup five last year. Well, and they went and won the title. Yeah, and they won the so, title because in the playoffs, they just used Aaron Gordon effectively as the backup center. And they, they needed to put a starter with the reserves anyway. The idea, especially early in the season, that you'd start five guys and then you'd sub five guys in and never the twain should mix. You'd have five starters and five bench players and the five bench players who play together. They never play with Jokic, never play with Murray, never play with Gordon or Porter. Occasionally they play with Caldwell Pope, but not very often. And that changed as the season went on. More mixed lineups for Michael Malone. And I think that was part of Malone's evolution as a coach. The bench got better, especially during the playoffs. The Nuggets just about broke even in the non-Jokic minutes. And believe it or not, this year, they are actually, while not doing well in the non-Jokic minutes, are doing better than they were doing last year at this particular point of the season. They don't need to make a deal. Um, Calvin Booth has been very clear about building a bench with young players, and I think that's paying off. It's too bad that Strother's missed so much time of that knee injury because of the three rookies, he was the one who seemed most ready and able to contribute as maybe the ninth man, right? With Reggie Jackson, whose play has leveled off a bit lately. 
Christian Brown has been somewhat up and down uh, this year. And Peyton Watson is often getting more minutes than some starters get. That was the case the other night at Ball Arena as the Nuggets took care of Portland for a second straight game. And Watson played 30 minutes more than Gordon played, more than Porter played uh, in that game, or at least as much as Gordon played uh, in that game. So, uh, no, there are teams around the NBA who probably would be well-advised to do a little roster refurbishing. Uh, The Lakers, aforementioned, uh, all kinds of reports of what the Lakers uh, might be doing. They were active last year, as you may recall, and actually seemed to play pretty well after the trade deadline last year. Even uh, the Boston Celtics, you talk about wearing people down. Uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown uh, getting major minutes. you got to be careful with Porzingis, given his injury history. Oklahoma City may be looking to deal. Phoenix has got to build up its bench. Keep an eye on them. The Clippers are playing exceptionally well. I don't think they'd want to make any kind of major move, but around the edges, it's possible you could see uh, the Clippers do something, and the Milwaukee Bucks also in that category. Um, the 76ers are the team that's really in a bind because it was uh, announced today that Joel Embiid underwent some kind of procedure. Don't don't you love it when they call an operation on somebody else a procedure, not surgery or an operation. They call it a procedure. Much more positive light. Yeah. So they're talking about how he comes uh, back in maybe four weeks or maybe sometime before the end of the regular season. And, you know, with his injury history, he's in his prime right now. I agree with Kendrick Perkins, uh, who said today, I think on Get Up this morning, he said they got to shut him down for the year. What's the per- what's I the think percentage? he said it even before the torn uh, meniscus was was verified. Right. Before it was right. even that for they sure. Shut it down. Now, a torn meniscus is not career-threatening. Uh, it, it may, in fact, be medically possible, although perhaps not advisable, for MB to come back this year. I, I just don't, I don't buy into the idea that you miss almost half a season, right? Even if he comes back very, very late in the regular season, you miss almost half a season and you either come back very, very late in the regular season or you come back in the playoffs. So <laughs> after being off for three or four months and not certain I mean, if there's a run-up of, what, three weeks from the end of the regular season into the playoffs, okay, I see maybe if he's healthy enough to play for three weeks before the playoffs begin. Now, it, the thing that makes it tricky is they're dropping like a rock in the standings. They can't beat anybody, even on their home court. Now, they they played well. And they played an interesting game against the Nuggets recently at Ball Arena. Hung in there. Remember the controversial game that uh, yeah, Embiid missing missed, more than right? just Embiid. And too. they played great. Here's the problem: they haven't come close to playing that well since. So they are now out of the top four. Uh, they are in fifth place. 
They're four games in the loss column up on sixth place Indiana. And if not for the Embiid injury, that might be a team that would be looking to do something. But I think with Embiid out, I would wonder what's the point. Yeah, it's a risk either way. Significant. Uh, But, you know, again, uh, this will be a challenge for Nick Nurse, a real challenge. Uh, Nick Nurse has won a championship before with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I think he's a terrific coach. He'll figure it out. But uh, here in Denver, the Nuggets, uh, once again, described in a piece I read today, is just cruising along. And you take a look at the uh, numbers. Uh, the Nuggets, on a simple rating system that Basketball Reference puts out, number seven in the league, second to last in pace. And I wonder about that. I want. I, that's my one quibble still with the Nuggets, that they only one team plays at a slower pace than the Nuggets. I think they could play faster. But look at this, seventh on offensive rating, 11th on defensive rating, and eighth overall. Very, very steady. And the steadiest teams as far as offense and defense rating is concerned, the teams that are closest together um, inside the top half of the league, Oklahoma City, third, uh, fifth and sixth on offense and defense. Nuggets, seventh and 11th, we mentioned. Uh, Boston, first and third. New York, ninth and seventh. New Orleans, 11th and ninth. And Philadelphia, but that's mostly with Embiid, sixth and tenth. It hasn't been sixth and tenth in the games without uh, Embiid lately. Not even close to that. When we come back, RF Dean will join us. We'll talk some Avs and get uh, RF's impressions of last night in New York and his thoughts on whether Ananoon plays or not tonight. Should he be playing tonight? Should he absolutely be playing tonight? Stay with us. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.